these words again from Second Peter 1, 16 through 21. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we also have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. For the past few weeks, we've been on a side trip from this passage to take time to consider our role and our responsibility as disciples of the Lord Jesus. And we ventured down that path because it's obvious as we read these words of First and Second Peter that the Apostle Peter is doing exactly that with these to whom he has written these letters. He's discipling them. He's obeying the commands that the Lord Jesus gave to him when the Lord Jesus said, Feed my sheep. And also to go ye into all the world and to make disciples. Peter was obeying those commands. And we are to look at what we do and ask, are we doing that? Are we discipling as he did? We have these scriptures and you can see here where uh, in this chapter he began first by assuring these new believers that yes, they did have basic faith. Faith as real as his own, but faith that needed to move on forward. Faith that needed to get to know this Christ who had saved them. They needed to get to know how they were supposed to be as true disciples. And they also needed to know what would be required of them with this Christian faith. Both among their neighbors and then also amongst the watching world because they are watching all of the time. They watch you and me because each of these dear ones and ourselves we are living in a broken and corrupt world. And he tells us in here that we are to make our calling and election sure as we walk through this crooked and perverse generation. And as we read and as we study these words, we know that God has given them specifically also to you and me. These are not just historical events that God wants to, us to put into our minds and bank them there perhaps for some time later. He wants you and me to look at these as timeless truths. Timeless 2,000 years ago, timeless now. So that we too can be confident that once we have received Christ as our Savior, we actually have what he describes here as the divine power. We get to participate in His divine power so that we can live lives of godliness. That is a mystical thought that most of us 
kind of move on past in a hurry as we read. Verse 3, His divine power has granted to us all the things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. And listen, so that through them you may become partakers, partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in this world because of sinful desires. That is taking place in your and my life. Do you believe that? If it is not taking place, then you need this discipleship that Peter is talking about here. You need to move on forward. I know that I do. And he describes here how we can do that. This is real. This is real, folks. This is not something that we just get to read about in the Scriptures and then hear on Sunday. We, You and I, as we have Christ as our Savior, we are empowered by this abiding presence of the Holy Spirit and we are now actually able to participate in this divine nature of who Jesus is. And we actually do get to escape this corruption that's all around us. You and I do not have to participate in that anymore. We can actually participate in the righteousness of Christ, in His divine nature. But what He's saying to us here is you've got to move on with your Christianity. Are you moving on with your Christianity? He's saying, I'm not going to hand it to you. I'm going to tell you here how to do this. But you are going to have to actually take some responsibility. You and I need to be diligent to begin our own discipleship training. And we need to do it now. It's not something that we can wait on. And he's saying, as he said to these dear ones then, he said, you need to add these godly attributes, these godly qualities in an increasing measure every day that of virtue and of knowledge and of self-control and patience and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. You need to add those every day. Are you doing that? Are you reading these scriptures daily? Are you adding virtue and knowledge and self-control, brotherly kindness, patience? If you do, you will be blessed and you'll start noticing it. You'll bless those around you because the one next to you will say, you know, you're being a different person here lately. But most of all, and this has always got to be it, you and I will bless the Lord Jesus because that is our main goal in life, to glorify God. So to Him be the praise and the honor and the glory in the changes that take place in our lives. Now, for today, I want us to focus here on the words beginning in verse 16. And I want to read these all over again so that you can have them as we talk about them. Verse 16, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is one of the problems that takes place so easily within the hearts and minds of real believing Christians. We will want something so bad that we will add it in to our Christianity. We'll say, well, God is an all-loving God, therefore He would not do this or that. And we devise our own cleverly devised myth. 
And so we add that into our faith and practice within our church. You can't do that. You can't manufacture God or you can't reform Him to be what you want Him to be. He is who He is. And these words tell us who He is. So, don't find yourself guilty of saying, well, I can't believe in a God who would do this or that. That's usually the first step in the wrong direction. You have to look in here. See who God is. Believe in this God who is described here in these Scriptures. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty for when He received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to Him by the majestic glory saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with Him on the holy mountain. Let me take one moment and tell you what was going wrong there. Why God made this statement. They were on the holy mountain and Jesus was standing there talking to Elijah and Moses and He was being transformed. Peter, not knowing exactly what to think or say or do, says, let's build three tabernacles honoring all three. The problem is they were not three equals. Moses represented the old law. Elijah represented the prophets. Jesus was God. They were not equals. And so you hear this thundering voice come out of heaven saying, this is my beloved son. Look at him. You and I don't need to be caught up with a lot of the side issues of our Christianity. This is his beloved son. Let me continue. And then in verse 19, he says, Besides us being an eyewitness of Christ, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in the dark place. And he's talking about the prophetic words of all the prophets before. They said this would take place, that these particular things would take place with the Lord Jesus, like with Isaiah 700 years before Jesus was born. And he says, now it's confirmed. Jesus was born. And as Isaiah said, he was also crucified and he was tortured and died. It's confirmed. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now living in this Southern Bible Belt as most of us have and reading these Scriptures, calling it God's Word is part of our heritage. It's part of our common conversation. But you know, for much of the rest of the world, that's not the case. Now yes, most of we'll say the Western world, America in particular, most people will give at least a nod to the possibility that this was God's Word. But relatively few people will go to the level of affirming a real belief in every word given within these pages. And let me also add that 
that is also true within a lot of the professing evangelical churches. They struggle to have real belief that every word is absolutely inerrant and infallible within the pages of this book. Every word. But now be that as it may, let me get back to these words of the Apostle Peter. In these words, we have read a presented to us a particular a very particular biblical method of proof that's accepted in the law of God. And that is that to prove a matter it has to be by the mouth of two or more witnesses. And that's what is taking place here in these words we just read. Affirmation both about who Jesus is and the source and the authority of these scriptures. Now I want to pause for a moment and ask the simple question, why would this be necessary? And the simple answer is, if we're going to base all of our years of this natural life and then all of our years of eternity upon someone or something, if we're going to base that on someone or something, it had better be a real, incredible, and worthwhile source and truth. And here in these words, Jesus Christ is the someone that we're going to base our eternity on. And these words of God are the something that we're going to base our eternity on. And here Peter gives this twofold witness, an affirmation as to who Jesus is. He first gives this eyewitness account. And the we that he speaks about here in this eyewitness account is himself and James and John. And he tells us, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. We were eyewitnesses. Three witnesses. Peter, James, and John. Now, his eyewitness testimony, is that credible? Is it believable? It is accepted everywhere. Eyewitness testimony will stand up in a court of law. But also, too, as you go out, go through the rest of this day, you'll have friends or family giving you eyewitness accounts. They'll tell you about things that have taken place with them today. And you believe them. You readily believe them when they say, well, I saw so-and-so over at Walmart. Or I stopped and visited with this person or that person. You believe them readily. Eyewitness testimony. And then also, eyewitness testimony is the basis for just untold history books. We know about Plato and Socrates because of someone's eyewitness testimony written down in books. So if we can believe all of that, why do we not believe Peter and his eyewitness testimony? We should and we must. He says, for we were eyewitnesses of the majesty of Christ when we heard him receive honor and glory from God the Father. We were there with him. We saw it. We heard it. And then next year we read in verse 19 this second witness being spoken about. The prophetic word, all of the Old Testament and some of the New. In them are so many, many different witnesses telling forth all the many things that Jesus was going to do, who He was, what He would be like when He got here. Verse 19, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Again, all throughout this Old Testament we have dozens of specific prophecies 
about the coming Messiah, the Lord Jesus. He's spoken about in Genesis chapter 3 as the seed of the woman. And then all through the book of Genesis, we read about the lineage of the Messiah who was going to come from the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And in the Psalms, we read all through the Psalms, we can read about the Lord Jesus. But especially in Psalm 22, it describes His crucifixion so vividly. Crucifixion that would not take place for hundreds and hundreds of years. The book of Isaiah. Isaiah is especially filled with all sorts of of prophecies about Jesus. Isaiah chapter 9 talking about His birth. Isaiah chapter 53 talking about His suffering, being beaten with those whips. There are prophecies about Jesus, hundreds of them, all throughout our Old Testament. And then as Peter is indicating here, the Gospels, these Gospels are then showing where those prophecies actually took place. Proving the validity of those prophecies. And note these words. I love these words that God uses. Verse 19, we will do well, you and I will do well to pay attention to those words as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. You and I live in these days in between those Scriptures then and what's going to take place in future days. And this is often a very precarious existence that we live in. We're subject to all sorts of doubts and fears and questions about things. These words are intended for you and me. He says, pay pay close attention to them. They are shining a light in the darkness, this present darkness that's all around us, to assure us that Jesus really is who He says He is, and He is that morning star spoken about here, the true light that's rising within our hearts. And we'll do well to spend time in pouring out these Scriptures into our hearts and soul so that we can have the assurance and the proof until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts, as He says here. Listen, these Scriptures of the Old and New Testament are all that you and I have to guide us and to direct our minds and hearts and our souls each day. And yes, the Holy Spirit lives within us. But for the most part, what the Holy Spirit is doing is He's taking these words and He's using them to speak to us. And you and I need to spend time in them so that we can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. You and I need to be writing these words upon the pages of our hearts and minds every day, studying them, meditating upon them. And then He says here to give us confidence in, in these words, in the reality and the truth of these words that they are truly inerrant and infallible. God gives us verses 20 and 21. Listen to this. He says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Remember these words. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now may I stop for a moment and ask you personally, do you believe that? Do you believe those words? Do you believe that every word, every word, every word in this Bible is absolute truth? 
that no man's interpretation was added into these scriptures. Not the writers of the scriptures, such as Isaiah or David or Peter or John or Paul, none of their own ideas, opinions, or interpretations were added into these scriptures. Only God's. Do you believe that? You must believe that. You must. It says, knowing this, first of all, listen, that no prophecy of Scripture. Prophecy is the foretelling of God's Word. It's not just telling something for the future. It is the telling forth of God's Word. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Nobody's personal opinion. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You and I must believe these words absolutely and completely. Why would that be necessary? It's as simple as it seems. If we are able to disbelieve even one word in here, if we thought that Peter was writing one word in here that was coming from his own opinion, then what it would do is it would cause every other word to be suspect. We'd never know which one was his own opinion and what was, came from God. And we could not believe any of them. You have to believe that every one of these is the Word of God. And then to add to that, listen to this. This is 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. These, folks, are very special words that you and I will do well to study more carefully and understand and believe. He says here that the words were breathed out by God. And that's a very special truth. Now other versions will use the translation inspired of God. What that word inspired means is God breathed. Inspired means God breathed. Literally meant that God breathed out these words He spoke them into the minds of the writers of these scriptures. And the writers wrote them down in these scriptures exactly as God spoke them. No opinions, no ideas added in. God spoke them into the minds of these writers and the writers wrote them down exactly as God said. Let me give you one other very important thought. It was the words themselves that were inspired, not the writers. Let me say that again. It was the words that were inspired, breathed out by God, not the writers. The writers were not inspired. Only the words were inspired. The writers were, as 2 Peter 1 tells us, they were led along by the Holy Spirit to write down what God had breathed into their minds. And that is a vitally important understanding that you and I must keep and never vary from it. Only the words were breathed out by God. If we allow the misunderstanding that the writers themselves were somehow inspired and then they wrote down what they thought God wanted them to write, then corruption will be manifest and and rampant throughout these scriptures. So let me say that again. We cannot allow ourselves the misunderstanding 
that the writers themselves were somehow inspired, like our book writers of today or our songwriters of today, where they are inspired and then they write down what they think God wanted them to write. It did not happen that way. They were not inspired. The words were inspired. They were led along by the Holy Spirit to write down what God had inspired in those words. If you don't understand, grasp what I've just said, please let's talk after the service because it is imperative that you and I read and study these words exactly as they are written because this is the truth of God. Let me say these words again and then we'll close. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, none of the words in these Scriptures come from someone's own interpretation, not the writers, no one's. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Praise the Lord. Let's pray.